Welcome to Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro, powered by Beyond, where we dive heart first into all things events in the nonprofit world. Hi, I'm Amy Milne, your host and CEO of Beyond and the Nonprofit Event Collective, where we believe that your events matter. You're not just hosting an event, you're inviting people to join you in changing the world. We're here to talk tricks of the trade and share tales from the trenches so you can produce epic events that inspire participants, raise more money, and change lives. Let's dive in. I am beyond elated to welcome Kevin McMahon, Senior Director, Peer-to-Peer Community Fundraising at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia to Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro podcast today. Before Kevin joined CHOP, he was a marketing manager for the Philadelphia Eagles, and boy, is CHOP lucky that he left sports marketing for fundraising. Kevin is one heck of a good human, and I'm so grateful we had the opportunity to meet in D.C. earlier this year at a P2P conference through our very good friend, Jamie Lamont. Episode one, take a listen. We instantly shared our love of P2P events and all things nonprofit. Kevin is kind, smart, funny, and leads his team with passion and dedication to the cause. His guiding principles are community and belonging, and this radiates from him as he shares all things P2P, leadership, innovation, and so much more. This is by far one of my favorite conversations, and I'm so pumped you get to listen to it too. I know when you're done, you'll be inspired and motivated to do more and be an even better good human. So let's do it. Let's get real. Kevin, welcome to the show. Amy, thank you so much for having me. Honored to be here. I'm so pumped. And I love that you shared with me. This is a bit of a like a brag moment, but I'm so excited because you never know when you put something new into the world like we do in events and anything that like, do people listen? And you said you've listened. So that's exciting. I think I'm through 20 episodes. And one of your other guests said it. I view this as like a masterclass of events, right? Like I'm taking notes in real time as much as like, I feel like I'm learning from others. So for me, this is a great opportunity and I'm really happy to be here to maybe shed one or two little nuggets of information that hopefully someone else can take away. For sure. We, as I just said to you too, before we press record is like, we should totally, I should start taping the pre-show because there's, you know, so many nuggets that come out in there, but we had the opportunity, you and I, to meet this year for the first time at Peer-to-Peer Forum through episode number one, Jamie Lamont, as a mutual friend. And so I've gotten to know you, but my good humans who are listening may not know you. So tell me about you. Sure. So I'm the Senior Director of Peer-to-Peer and Community Fundraising at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Been at CHOP for 11 years now, which is kind of hard to believe, to be honest with you, because my background is actually in, I have a master's in sports management and undergraduate marketing. And I always thought that I was going to either work in high school athletics or college athletics or professional sports. So I kind of cut my teeth coming out of grad school. I worked for the Philadelphia Eagles for a number of years. And I always thought I'd live in the the professional collegiate sport, you know, arena for a really long time. And I never saw healthcare even as an option. Right. So, so yeah, so I've been at CHOP for 11 years now, and I'm really thrilled to be in the seat that I'm in. I'm still able to take so many incredible nuggets from my previous life and apply them in this setting and talk about a job that just makes you feel really good being able to work with so many incredible grateful patient families. Yeah, for sure. And so is CHOP, so CHOP is like, it's like a sick kids hospital. Like it's a big children's hospital. It's not specialized. It serves all. It does. It does. So 
Chop is probably easiest to describe in three words. One of our CDOs said this, and I have been using it since first, biggest, and best. Those are the three words. So Chop was the first children's hospital in the U.S. First children's hospital. It was modeled after Great Ormond Street and the biggest. So based on our care network, because not only do we have inpatient hospital, we actually have two inpatient hospitals, one bigger, one a little bit smaller. But we also have a massive care network of, you know, pediatricians' offices, specialty care centers. So when you look at our volume of patients as an aggregate, we see more patients than any other children's hospital in the country. And best is, you know, U.S. News and World Report always ranks chop in there's top tier categories. So I'm really fortunate to to work here because I'm always blown away by how incredibly smart our clinical partners are. They're just, they're literally amazing. In fact, sometimes I'm like, do you have multiple brains? Because <laughs> how, are, how are you triple board right. certified? And you also climbed Kilimanjaro and you also like are getting your law degree on the side by the right. time you're 30. Like they're like, we're, <laughs> they're not normal. They're right. amazing. They're amazing. Holy cow. I didn't even know it was that big. And it's funny, like, you know, and I guess that sometimes like when you put your marketing brain on, like in terms of branding, like I would almost say you're somewhat humble in terms of compared to others who like, mm-hmm. and, and maybe that's just my perspective. I'm in Canada. So obviously I wouldn't, I, I, I'm in the know, but I'm not in the know the same way, but I always, I feel like there's others that are a bit bolder, but it feels like you guys are a little bit more humble, but you're really doing some of the most work. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'd say humble is a probably an appropriate word to describe the our the way we've have marketed ourselves. Okay. We've really have led with our clinical expertise. In fact, one of the challenges when I started eleven years ago, not necessarily a challenge now, but was even branding ourselves as a philanthropic institution. Right. Most people were seeing us for our clinical expertise, but not necessarily knowing that we also were a charity. So we've done a lot of work in that space over the past eleven years. But yeah, humble is an appropriate way to describe job. Cool. I want to learn more. So one of the best things that I thought, you know, when you when I reached out and asked you to be on the podcast because you are a listener, you're like, I want to talk about some of these things because I feel like I can add value. And you haven't had a guest on yet, Amy, that has talked about these things. And so I love that. And so one of the things that we haven't talked about, and I'd love to hear from you, is about your your event team structure. Like what okay. does, how do you, what do you do? What types of events do you do? And what does that look like for you inside your giant machine? Yeah. So at CHOP, I like to say that we kind of follow the similar operation of the hospital setting in oh, the cool. sense that we are very subspecialized in our work. Cool. So many years ago, when I first started at CHOP, each associate director basically managed a portfolio of events. And that could be a Special events that is like kind of like more sponsorship driven, like a gala, for example, a peer to peer event, and then also maybe a small portfolio of community or DIY events. Mm-hmm. And it was great. And that worked out nicely. The challenge that we really ran into is that everyone with the speed at which events move, mm-hmm. everyone was moving a million miles an hour. And, and often, I mean, you would have to be intentional with sharing best practices saying like, Hey, listen, this walk for this, this work for this walk. Yeah. Maybe you should have take this same idea and apply it to the walk that is in your portfolio. Right. So what we ended up doing was we restructured into the the lines that overlap. So about oh. six or seven years ago, I moved into a role that I previously was in as of about a year prior. 
as the director of peer-to-peer fundraising. Mm-hmm. And actually at the time, I'll be honest with you, you would Google it. Like I would Google the title <laughs> and I could, I was the only person that I could find with that title because it was so For nuanced, sure. right? Like as far as being the director of peer-to-peer, you would see them in some of our, you know, larger national organizations, mm-hmm. but definitely not in the hospital space. No, whatsoever. not at all. Not at all. So we reworked in a way that we aligned our common events into different categories. So that's special events, which are definitely your more sponsorship driven events, tables. You know, we, we have a similar event to like sick kids that scrubs in the city. We have an yep. event called cheers for chop, which is very similar to scrubs. It's a amazing. It's a party. Like, let's be honest. Oh, I got it. It's incredible. There's cabanas. There's. What? It's it's insane. Like the, we always have some kind of type of fun act that performs. So like cool. it's it's really it's really great. So you have a category of special events. Okay. You have a category of executive events, which are primarily stewardship based oh, cool. events. Then we have a category of peer to peer events. I specify events because the way that we define peer to peer are events that we run soup to nuts. Okay. So everyone does, defines peer-to-peer in a little bit of a different way. We specifically put the word events at the end of peer-to-peer for us because we are responsible for every all the fundraising and all the operations. And, and so, so I, you actually have like logistics team, like you have logistics, you do manage all the logistics in-house as well. So all the fundraising, all the participant support and all the logistics. Yes. For some of our larger events, we will have some outside support. Right. But... Yeah, I mean, we're still driving that consultant who's also making sure from an operations perspective that aligns with everything that we're doing. Cool. So from in that space, from a peer-to-peer events perspective, we have right now five peer-to-peer fundraising events. And this past year was a little bit over $3 million for those five events, which is really, we feel really happy about. Totally. And then we have our final bucket is what we call community fundraising. Community fundraising is not some of a catch-all, but it's fairly robust program. So it's not just DIY events, you know, grateful patient families hosting mm-hmm. events that benefit the hospital. That makes up part of it. We also have some some partnerships, namely a partnership with the Philadelphia Eagles, who we partnership partner with around some of our autism work. Oh, cool. Other pillars that also fall under the community fundraising umbrella yeah. are we have a fairly robust school and youth fundraising program. Neat. And then a virtual and endurance space. So we took some of our virtual events that we had been doing prior to the pandemic. We've added on some and we said there are some shared learnings here within this space. So we now have that's our third vertical under community fundraising. In that's total, really cool. Yeah. We're, it, we're a fairly large event shop, especially in the city of Philadelphia. So yeah. that grouping of all of that collective unit is about 22 full-time employees. Wow. And then two or three interns, giving given the time that support that operation and the portfolio is about ten ish or so million dollars annually. That's amazing. That's awesome. And I'm assuming you then work inside. So do you work with marketing teams and stuff like inside your foundation as well? So that is like what you just described is your team of folks that are like literally boots on the ground, getting the participants, keeping them engaged, managing the volunteers, all that. That's everything. That's your 22 FTE. Wow. Yeah, yeah, committee management. Yeah, we partner. I mean, listen, to be successful in events, you have to be a great partner, right? Sure because do. you your success relies on the on so many other teams. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, in fact, when I worked for the Philadelphia Eagles and I did corporate 
activation. Yep. It was the same same exact scenario, right? Like you could only activate a corporate sponsor if you had good partnership within the organization. And the same exact thing is true from the event space in the sense that, you know, if you don't have a great relationship with your, your marketing team, with your comm team, with your donor relations team, with your individual giving team, right? Like you won't be successful. So we do our best to try to be incredible partners and really work across the spectrum within the foundation to really ultimately meet donors in the, where they want to be met, right? Like we want to be as donor centric as we possibly can and not trying to force someone into an event that just doesn't make sense. It doesn't match, match their interest. It doesn't make sense for where they are within their care. So yeah, it's we, we try to treat events as a vehicle to okay. really engage donors and kind of like one of my Kevin-isms that I, I think Rick, I'm stealing his ism idea here. Okay, we can steal yeah. from Rick. It's fine. Totally fine. I love it. it. We, we really want to keep these grateful patient families that come to CHOP and seek care here at CHOP within the larger CHOP, within the larger CHOP family. And that right. includes our fundraising family and giving them an opportunity to give back in a way that they feel inclined. Right. That matters to them. Like that's like, it matters to them. And as an organization, yes, we need to make money so that we can, you know, do more and give more and change more lives and, you know, fix all the problems of the world. But they're human beings on the other end. And if, if that's how they want to give and they want to show up for your organization, then I think, you know, the fact that that's actually how you are thinking about it, you and your team at CHOP, like that's, that's magic compared to, I think everyone's, I think a lot of people are thinking about it, but the fact that you lead with that, not to say that people don't, but it sounds like it's a very deliberate way of thinking at your organization. We, we have to be intentional in that line of thinking and leading with the donor first and trying to match the way that they want to be able to give back. And if that's the, you know, the patient and the siblings hosting an lemonade stand and raising $36, like I love that. Right. And they're yeah. doing their own thing down to, you know, someone participating in one of our events and it just happens to match not only their philanthropic interest of where they want to give back, right. but also something that they're personally interested in. That's really kind of where the magic happens. I love that. Tell me a little bit about your event. So I, I kind of, I want to lean into something that we started to chat about and we joked about when we were out, when we were all together in person at P2P, but also you and I started to talk about it a little bit pre-show. Tell me a little bit, because I feel like this is a Kevinism as well, is tell me about R&D. Because I think when you brought it up with me when we were... When we were away, I was like, yeah, research and development. You're like, well, I got a different way of looking at it. So this I love. Yeah. Well, I I like to say that I haven't had an original idea since like, I don't know, like 1987. (laughs) Do you remember what that original idea was? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was. (laughs) Probably not for show. It's definitely not. So, I mean, listen, I think that even the best are doing it. Even your, your for-profits are, are looking at doing this. So we, I kind of coined R&D as rip off and duplicate. And really, I mean, that's where so much success comes from. And it's rip off and duplicate, but also I'd say like modify and adjust mm-hmm. to make it your own. So we've been able to do that within just like, even like small tactics, like, oh, this works really well on Instagram, right? Like, 
we should be using this very minor thing and taking the concept and using and tweaking it to some of our marketing. We've even done it essentially with one of our, I guess not newer events, but our event Philly Spin In, which is our indoor cycling party, which we we grew from kind of nothing. And we, we, not to say we ripped it off of, but we modeled it off of the- Rip off is just a good way to say it, but you're modeling, I mean, you're modeling it off something that works. Like, why not? Many, when I first started at CHOP, I think I had been in, you know, I'd been just kind of seeing, because I didn't know, listen, I didn't even know anything about healthcare when I came to <laughs> Have you been touch on that yet? I came from working in professional sports. And I, when I tell you that I would trip over the word philanthropy, like I couldn't even say it, right? Like, I'm like, what am I, like, like what I is to, that? I need to learn. And I had, you know, there was many transferable marketing skills that I was able to right. take from a previous position and apply them. But when I came into this role, I said, like, I need to understand who's doing this really well. Right. And like, what are they doing? What does success look like to them? Mm-hmm. So that came down to like, I started following some of the, the majors, right? It, whether that be a Pan Mass challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. what are they doing? Like, they're raising a lot of money, which then has kind of like led me down many rabbit holes. One of the rabbit holes was Cycle for Survival, Right. Which like kudos to that team because they took a different concept that nobody was doing at that point mm-hmm. in time and having it start out as a community event. And then for them to say like, Hey, I think we have something here and to grow and expand it is, yeah. I mean, they, they've done incredible work. So we, we modeled our event Philly spin in after cycle for survival. And we've really have made it our own, you know, the, the foundational elements are still there of a whole bunch of people riding, you know, stationary bike in one, you know, three to four hour session but we have kind of choptimized it a little bit and we've made it fit the audience that is works for us because it's, it is different, right? We are truly a children's hospital versus MSK being adult and children, right? So we've been able to really make it within our brand and it's, it's been incredibly successful. In fact, this past year, we're really proud to say that the event surpassed that, that kind of like that big threshold. So it surpassed the $1 million raised in a year. So we're, I think we're about $5 million since inception. And it's one of those things that I, I speak with with a lot of pride because, you know, we, we took a concept that we weren't really sure was going to be successful, mm-hmm. took a risk, but it met a lot of our strategic objectives as far as why should we be adding this on and how does it make sense, right? Like we weren't just adding an event to add an event. Right. Important and if point. If it's helpful, I can give you a little bit of context. No, here. please. Totally. This might be... So when we were evaluating an event, we saw an opportunity because the event benefits our cardiac center specifically. Cool. And actually all of our peer-to-peer events are restricted to a specific area within the hospital, which is fairly really? unique from other, many of the like Woodmark hospitals, I'd say. Yeah. Most times you're unrestricted. We pivot where all of our peer-to-peer events are restricted. So Interesting. We had an opportunity where... Oh. We were seeing a lot of grateful patient families being treated for in our cardiac center. Okay. So these are families that are literally, I mean, some of them, not all of them, but mm-hmm. you know, their child's having open heart surgery and they're not just having one, they're having multiple right. open heart surgeries. And some of them as early as like a day old, right? Or maybe right. not even a whole day, right? right. They're hours. Hours is what yeah. we're talking about here. So, and Unfortunately, we, we do have the volume of families that are seen in our cardiac center is really, really high. 
So it came down to a situation where we said, hey, listen, we, the patient volume is really high. The mm-hmm. gratitude that these families have for the hospital who are literally saving their child's life is like off the charts high. Yeah, for sure. But the problem that we were having was is that, and I kind of alluded to this in the beginning, where we saw an opportunity where families were incredibly grateful for their care, but they weren't recognizing CHOP as a philanthropic institution, particularly being able to know that they could designate their dollars to the cardiac center or an area or piece of research, whatever that may be within the cardiac center. So all of that kind of led to the reason why we created Philly Spinning because we said there's an opportunity here more often than not prior to the event taking place. There are these incredibly grateful families that were going and fundraising for other remarkable, you know, organizations. Mm -hmm. And some of that money was, was coming back to the hospital, but not all of it. Right. So we really saw it as an opportunity to say like, Hey, we can really accomplish a lot of our goals and objectives here while kind of going out through another Kevinism of keeping those chop families in the larger chop family. And that's kind of the the motivation behind creating a really awesome and dynamic event that's like off the charts fun. I love that for so many reasons. I like I I, I like even just starting at the R and D moment because why not look at what else is out there? You know, I mean, Starbucks isn't the only coffee shop, and right. you know, Dunkin' Donuts isn't the only, and everybody's got their own brand and their own spin, pardon the pun, mm-hmm. on things. You just saw something, in my opinion, as a, listening to you speak, like you saw something that was working in this space. Mm-hmm. Then from that, you were like. Is that going to work? You weren't, like you said, you were you were deliberate. You didn't just like plop it in here and be like, we're going to do this. Like, you know, the fact that it 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 it's for heart, it's people on bikes. Like to me, there's so many synergies as to why you would choose that. And no, you can't just take like cycle sur- survival and, you know, take their marketing and the way they speak to their people and what they're, you took a concept that was Correct. working in the marketplace and you turned it into something magical for your organization. Like, I just yeah. think, why not? Yeah, it, it accomplished a lot of our goals. And we we didn't create an event just to create an event. That, right. wasn't, that was not the motivation. It was, how can this really accomplish on our strategic objectives as a foundation yeah. to deepen our pipeline, right? To expose people to drop and let them know that we are a charitable organization, right? That they and that they can direct their dollars and not to mention what I and I'm st- feel like all of our events are like our children, right? Like yeah, we like have so much love for one. So I feel like I'm totally like, overemphasizing yeah. this one child here of an event. But what's really unique about it is is that the ability to close the loop, which I'm really big on for so many years, like we were just like in this constant ask cycle and then a pause, maybe doing a little bit of stewardship, but then like never really closing that proverbial loop and telling our our fifty or hundred dollar donors like Right. Where their $100 go. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the expectation is out there that if someone gives you $50 that they expect to know as if they give a million dollars. Right. However, you know, we should be doing that work, right? Because it's incredibly important. And if we're not, I think we're really missing an opportunity. So I say all, all that because what's unique about this event is that we were able to follow the dollar since day one. It wasn't an event that had been going on for 20 years. We right. changed 20 different systems and this, that, right. and the other. Right. <laughs> so the, the dollars that are raised go into an innovation fund within the cardiac center. And then members, staff within the cardiac center can apply 
can submit grants like short tank style essentially cool. like, be able to say like hey i would like to use some of these funds for this project here's an idea that i have and it could be like innovative patient care right through a research project and it's both so it's not everything research related it could just be like hey this is going to improve the patient family experience right and that's what we do or it could say like hey we think we can use vr to be able to see inside a heart to be able to and to be able to improve the way that we repair a certain type of heart defect. That's so cool. It's so cool. Tell me, you're doing so many amazing things. I love this. I feel like we could talk for hours. The restricted fund thing is interesting. Like I know you you have a few other you have a few other children in your portfolio, so you can speak of those as well. But the fa- it's so like I'm really intrigued by the fact that you're st- strategically choosing restricted mm-hmm. funds for your event. Yeah. So some of it happened because, I mean, similar to Cycle for Survival, some of our peer-to-peer events started out as community events. Right, right, right. So those community events were directing to a certain area within the hospital. Right. And some of them got like incredibly big and successful and just needed some extra kind of TLC. If not, they wouldn't have been able to grow and scale. And ultimately, that is what a lot of these like volunteer members wanted is sustainability. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So like, this event continues to grow even beyond their participation. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that did motivate how the events funds are designated. So within our five peer-to-peer events portfolio, so the Parkway Run and Walk, which actually was modeled after Terry Fox Run, which is yeah. an event that not many people in the U.S. know about, but you know, I'm talking to you who yeah. are super familiar with the Terry Fox Run. Very much so. So that's a 5K run, 2K walk that benefits our cancer center. This is the 21st year. And this past year, we raised $2 million across the $2 million threshold for that event annually, which was crazy. like- For a 21-year-old event? Like- Crazy. That's amazing. It's 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 kind of crazy. It's especially crazy because we're raising it $50 at a time, right? Like- Right. That's what- that's So it's the story that I like to tell there is like, especially to patient families who- Listen, patient, patient families, and if we, I've heard you talk about this with other guests, like mm-hmm. they are the core of our foundation success. Like we ultimately, what we're just trying to do is create community within these patient families. Right. And we're able to successfully do that and use these events as a vehicle to create that community and belonging, right? Like I tell my team, if that. we lead with community and belonging, then fundraising will follow, right? Like we will be successful there. So a lot of these events that are restricted, these are these communities coming together. So I mentioned the Parkway Runner Walk raises money for our cancer center. Philly Spin raises money for our cardiac center. We do a version of the NDSS Buddy Walk. We call it the CHOP Buddy Walk. So that raises money for our Trisomy 21 or Down Syndrome program. Okay, We're one of the larger Buddy Walks in the country. And I talk about like a feel-good event. Like if you don't walk around Buddy Walk without a huge smile on your face, like you don't have a soul because these... <laughs> Kids. they're amazing they yes. are remarkable like yeah they are so inspiring and i love them and then we have another event called the walk for hope which raises money for ibd and the newest event that we just added on this past year which is brand new to the portfolio we just hosted in june is called the chop cure sickle cell walk so the cure sickle cell walk is a brand new event that we're hosting that we hosted for the very first time this june and we weren't really sure what to expect from that event but it made so so many smart it was so it was right for so many reasons okay yeah we had about 800 people that came out the first year and we just reached Holy a short cow. Five, should I have 200,000 which is great right like year one going out 
So now we have people building block here. So, I mean, there could be thousands of people in the future and it's really about once again, community and belonging. I love those two words, community and belonging. I, it just, I mean, speaking with you and just you, you personally care about what you're doing and you can feel that even just in a conversation and how you talk about the work that you do at chop, you can tell that you're surrounded by, by people that like you guys, you guys, you good humans are just like so thoughtful in what you're doing and how you're running your event department and why. Like I just, I really feel like you've got this why and your why is community and belonging. And that to me sounds like your guiding light in terms of how you make decisions. Mm-hmm. And I mean, 800 people to come out for a like restricted fund event in our first year, dollars aside, that is extraordinary. Yeah, it was it was great. And in typical peer-to-peer fashion, they made us sweat us out a little bit because everyone, <laughs> I think we have about like half of our registrations in the final week and we're like, what's going to happen here, right? Because we had a lot of food and we have a big space and are we going to be successful? And thankfully, they followed the similar trajectory of every other peer-to-peer event where everyone right. acts like they're in love with our. But yeah, it was, it was great and the families loved it. And in fact, one of them, I'll never forget, a patient said to me now, I don't know, five or six years ago. And I have kind of led most of our events like this because it fits into the community belonging thing. He said, Mr. Kevin, he said, this event's kind of like a big family reunion. And I'm like, that is the best way that I could ever describe an event ever, right? If, If a patient feels like this is literally a family reunion for them, like success, like we've yeah. Fundraising aside, we've done That's our- That's a drop the mic moment right there. You're like, nailed it. It was like, it was like eight. And he was so well-spoken <sighs> and he said it. And I was like, yep, you're right. Well, because he could feel it, right? I mean, at that age, you don't, you find the words because of a feeling. You don't have the words because you haven't had the experience. Exactly right. So that human felt it and yeah. was able to find the words to share with you. That's extraordinary. Yep. Oh my gosh, that is crazy. So I want to know because I'm, I love recognition. And so one of the things that you had asked me to ask, which I love is how to recognize a family to participate in memory and partnering with the bereavement team. Cause I think this is a big one. This is a big one. And I think it's incredibly important, especially when you host events for patient families that mm-hmm. unfortunately don't have a child anymore. Right. Like, yep. and. It's different for every, every single family is unique. Yeah. Whether they're participating in honor Mm -hmm. or memory. Mm -hmm. Some families are completely comfortable and this is the way that they can annually celebrate the the child's memory. And we are able to kind of provide that vehicle or that outlet to do so. Some families just, I can't even imagine the burden, right? Like I can't, I have three kids. I cannot even fathom what, what it would be like to, to lose one of them. Mm-hmm. So some families don't participate and you know what, yeah. that's totally fine. One of the things that we've really emphasized is because so many of these events are like rah, rah, and they're fun and they're high energy mm-hmm. and they're everything. Right. But like sometimes some families there and a lot of them are like working through an incredibly emotional state. Mm-hmm. So we've been very intentional in making sure that we're not only recognizing the, the patients and the families that have been on, have been able to go on and live their childhood and be incredibly successful and go on Mm -hmm. to maybe be grandparents, but also there's families that have lost a child and are participating in memory. So 
we just recently, we started to partner with our bereavement team to say like, hey, listen, we want to make sure that the families that are participating in memory have a voice and they have a space and they feel seen while at the same time, making sure that we're balancing we, with the energy is still fairly high. Right. So we've been able to do that fairly creatively with some kind of in-person activations and really kind of have leaned on the bereavement team say like, hey, what makes sense? We don't know this space. You are talking to these right. families, unfortunately, all the time. Right. You tell us, you help guide our decision making. Like we have some thoughts, but like it, are our thoughts appropriate or are they not appropriate? So kind of two specific examples that I'll point to is so one is for the Parkway Run and Walk. We created a bronze shoe and that bronze shoe is on display and it's it's wrapped in signage talking about what the significance of this bronze shoe is. Cool. This past year, we started to do some really cool things where with shoelaces and being mm-hmm. able to tie them onto different strings so that because a lot of families, even if they're there in honor, they know so many families that unfortunately mm-hmm. lost a child. Big so time. we were able to really create this like very kind of simple, mm-hmm. but very thoughtful display at, you know, in the middle of the event. And we got really great rave reviews about it. And then the other example I give is for Philly Spinning because we talked about it is we have a bike called the Inner Hearts bike. And the Inner, Heart, Inner Hearts bikes sits at the very front of the room and no one rides it the entire day. It has a spotlight on it and it's a sign in our hearts. We talk about it in the opening ceremony and say, this is the significance of this bike. This bike remains here for those who cannot pedal it. So it sits still. And families, when they come up and speak, so many of them reference the, you know, the bike in our hearts bike. And it's a really powerful moment and something that we've been really thoughtful and trying to be tasteful with what we do. Because, mm-hmm. And the partnership with Bereavement has been really remarkable. And I would encourage any yeah. other, or, you know, any other charity that is in this healthcare space or even not, right? Yeah. Like, hey, how are you recognizing your families that are participating in memory and, and what makes sense for you and your program? Well, and even just on the bereavement, talk about like you say families and you, you know, there's all ages and stages, not just children's mm-hmm. hospitals. I mean, obviously we don't want to lose the young. That's the worst part. We're often participating in events and supporting charities because of loss. And I don't, and you can like losing a pet, like my best friends just had to put their dog down suddenly and they've been devastated. Their teenage daughters like suffered loss through, you know, COVID and being a teenager and all this and then loses her puppy and doesn't, and her dog, sorry, I say puppy all the time. My kids are like, what? Their dog. And I'm an event producer and, and a marketer. I don't know. I'm not a bereavement specialist. And I think you touch on something that is so valuable for anyone listening that's dealing with any kind of situation where loss needs to be recognized, because I do think it's a need that if you don't have someone in bereavement on your team, there's people out there, I think, that you should Mm -hmm. reach out to. I think that is so powerful because what I think is important, and this is one of the things that I learned when I worked at SickKids when we launched our event, we just you know, sick kids led with tears and they had a certain sort of way that they went because that worked. And, and it, and there is a, you know, there is an emotional connection that people make and that you make money that way, like you get donations that way. But when we launched our event, we couldn't have led the same way. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we wouldn't have known that, or those who'd marketed before us, not an event wouldn't have known that. So I just think, I think that is so powerful that you've partnered with that 
group inside. And I think if you don't, if you're listening and you don't have that inside, then find it. Yeah. I'd, I'd say there would be an energy and enthusiasm for someone on the bereavement side to engage in that level of conversation. For sure. Because what we've learned is those those people those people matter. Like we know they matter, but we can't yeah. assume to know how they're feeling. Exactly right. And and I think that's full circle to how you run your department, how you show up as a human, Kevin. Like community and belonging, I feel like that's you and how you show up in your real life as much as it is how you show up in your work. And so it's my pleasure to have gotten to know you. I'm so glad Jamie has good friends. <laughs> and I'm Check glad because when, <laughs> when I worked at SickKids, nobody from Woodmark talked to each other. Right. Like you just kind of were like in your silos and you met and you sat in a weird conference room once a year, mm-hmm. but you still didn't communicate. And you and Jamie and Ted, I was grateful to be a part of that connection when we were away. So yeah. thank you. So much for this. Any last words? I mean, we end on bereavement. Is there one more Kevinism? Is there one more thing that you want to shout out to the people listening? I mean, I think when I would think of one thing we didn't talk about is just that I do want to recognize because I'm just one person right among this incredible team is I would like to shout out my team because like they are remarkable. Like the energy and the enthusiasm and the spirit that they bring every single day being coachable and just going the extra mile, like we we would not have any of the success without them. So like, I think that, you know, not that I'm like, I feel like I'm giving like a speech up here, but like they, they're the, they're the real kind of like heroes in our world in my eyes, right. because, you know, I can try to drive a vision, but ultimately they're really the ones executing a lot of these different mm-hmm. ideas and crazy ideas and telling me sometimes they're crazy <laughs> ideas. Yep. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think that's what I would like to shout out and, you know, just encourage others who haven't maybe listened to other episodes to, mm-hmm. to go back and listen, because this is truly a masterclass of a podcast. Like you have some incredible guests and I'm just kind of honored to be even considered, you know, to be in the conversation. But the the guests that you've had on really bring insights and there's there's lots of kind of back to basics information, mm-hmm. too, which is really helpful. And I've mm-hmm. been able to find that beneficial for myself. Sometimes I don't find like there's enough time to write things down. So I have to go back and and re-listen. But, you know, there's the the two nuggets that I would, I kind of would like to leave you with because you've really created some incredible content and have been able to bring together some incredible human beings. Great. Well, thanks for being a part of it. And thank you for the kind words. And as we talked in the pre-show, and I'm going to put it out live because then it'll happen is we're going to, we're going to get you back on the show with a couple of our friends and we'll see how that goes. So Thanks again, Kevin. This was incredible. Thank you for Happy your time. To be part of it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening and doing good in the world. We see you. We can't wait for you to join us next time when we hear from another good human who will share their story along with tips and tricks that will help you execute extraordinary events that are sure to have a lasting impact on your participants, beneficiaries, donors, and colleagues. Make sure you follow Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review the show so other nonprofit event pros just like you can find our podcast so they too can create events that matter. Tune in next week to Laugh, cry and cheer with us on another episode of Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro. See you soon.
good human. Are you hitting roadblocks with your events and marketing and need a bit of help to take it to the next level? We've got you. Sign up for our monthly hot seat coaching where we will answer your questions live on the podcast. That's right. You'll get to join me, Amy Milne, and my colleague, Lisa Cohen, right here on Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro Podcast. And we will share our expertise to help you with your specific questions. Sound good? Great. Fill out the quick form by following the link in the show notes and we'll take it from there. We're stoked to have you on the podcast, Good Human Listener, to guide you through your current challenges. Keep it real.